that's been titled Conversations with Christ. And so we've been doing that over the summer. And I want to just let you know that the next series is going to be in the book of 1 Samuel. So we'll be looking at that. You should have gotten some information about uh, that in an email through the newsletter. There are a couple of commentaries and a couple of other resource things that would be helpful to you as, you go, as we sort of walk through 1 Samuel together. Uh, there'll be a lot that you get from the sermons, but so much that uh, you don't get. And so it might be helpful if you're especially looking for something to study in your own personal quiet time to use one of those resources. Uh, another thing I want to make uh, known is this particular sermon, we're, we're closing these Conversations with Jesus series, and so these are closing conversations Jesus has, and they happen in the Garden of Gethsemane on the cross. So these are just a few short conversations he has, and they represent a very difficult time in the life of Christ. And they're meant for, for us to see many things, but one of the things that it's meant for us to see is how do we navigate difficult times in our own walk with the Lord. And so there may be, as I talk through this, something that gets stirred up in you, and one of the things that I want to make sure you know is that we'll be available for prayer following, because you might be having de dealing with something that's heavy, and it would be helpful to you to just have somebody to pray with you. So after the service is over, I'll be up here, Trevor will be up here. So if it's helpful to you, I would encourage you to, to come forward and to ask for prayer. Uh, let me begin our time in prayer before we take a look at this, these texts. Lord, we uh, stand here on very holy ground as we try to understand what's happening in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we try to have some appreciation for the hours that you hung on the cross. And we want to live in this story, and then we want to live through this story. And we're going to pray that you save us from darkness, just like you saved your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 30 has a very famous uh, line in it from King David. He says, weeping may re remain for a night, but what? Joy, joy comes in the morning. Such a, a hopeful verse, you know, it, it's a realistic verse. It's night's going to fall at some times in your life, but, but Dave, and David felt that night but he also knows joy comes in the morning. You've got to hold on through that night time. And I love that verse. But I want to say, great, that's great, David. But, but how do you make it through the night? Especially if your night is longer than 8 or 10 or 12 hours. What if your night time is a year or longer? How do you hold on as a Christian when it's dark and times seem chaotic? In January of 1968, I was four and a half years old, and I lived in a, on a little army base in Fort Rucker, Alabama. And everything in my little four and a half year old world seemed fine. 
seemed fine until a well-dressed man from the army knocked on our family's door and informed my mother that her husband, my dad, had died in a helicopter accident that day. And so I don't remember four and a half a lot of the facts at that moment other than that one big fact, but what I remember mostly was a feeling of chaos. My, my little world at four and a half, which seemed like, you know, everything was fine, suddenly it, it dropped into chaos. And one little knock on the door caused night to fall on my family. And that night lasted a lot longer than 10 or 12 hours. 17 years later was May 1985. I was 22 and I was getting ready to graduate from Furman University. And most of the things in my little college bubble were just fine. I had my friends around me. I was getting out of school, which was I was excited about. And everything seemed to be going fine until my mother called me to tell me that she had cancer. And when my mother got cancer, it felt like my whole family got cancer. And the next 14 months, she struggled to stay alive. And then the next year, we put her to rest in a little cemetery in Arkansas. And a very familiar darkness came back into my family one that I could remember from being four and a half. And you know, the darkness didn't stop after we laid it rest. That the night had come again, and it wasn't going to go away in just a few hours. It wasn't going to be one good night's sleep, and then everything is okay. Since 1985, I've had a few more walks in the dark as many of you have had in your lifetime. And so I come back to this question, weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning. How do you last during the night? How do you hold on to your faith at night? And so I want to push these final few conversations with Jesus together to help us answer that question. And the reason we're not going to have sort of a separate scripture reading is I'm going to look at some verses out of Matthew 26 and 27 and then Luke 22 and 23. So it might be helpful just to find those chapters in your Bible, Matthew 26 and 27, Luke 22 and 23, which are describing basically the, the same time period. I might describe this time period as cosmic chaos. I felt a little chaos in my world at four and a half or at 22, but now this is, this is really chaos on a different scale. It's a cosmic chaos because the image of the invisible God, Jesus, the creator of all things, was arrested and he was put to death. And both Matthew and Luke describe the time of Jesus' death this way, and darkness came over the whole land, and darkness came over the whole land. And if you're a, a good Bible reader, when darkness comes over the whole land, you're supposed to connect that to something. You're supposed to go back to Genesis 1-2. Before the creation, 
it says this, the earth was without form and void and darkness. Darkness was over all the earth. So as the creator of light, as the light of the world hangs on a cross, a a very familiar pre-creation darkness comes over the earth. It's the same sort of chaos that you might connect to Genesis chapter 1 is happening again here in Matthew 26 and 27. And so in this chaos, I want to give us three different ways to look at these conversations and then uh, maybe gain some help on how to make it through the night. Let's look together first at Matthew 26, starting with verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. This is a little olive garden outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And he said to, to, his, to, to this, all of his disciples, 11 at this point, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then as he walked away, he, took, he takes Peter and two sons of Zebedee, who are James and John, and he begins to be sorrowful and troubled. Verse 38, then he said to Peter, James, and John, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, I don't know why specifically it's just Peter there, but maybe because Peter's going to be the leader of the church. And he's looking at Peter and saying, Peter, you're going to have some dark nights, buddy. And you're going to need somebody that, like you, praying for you. So I'm trying to look at you, Peter, and say, Peter, pay attention. This is a very critical moment, not just for me. It's a very critical moment for you and your future. So he looks at Peter. So could you not watch for just one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and he prayed. My father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them asleep, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same thing. So here we have Jesus in a dark moment. And one of the things that he needs is he needs people to enter the dark moment with him. I mean, he's taking his disciples from the upper room to the garden, and then inside the garden as he walks away, I still need a few guys to go with me. I need some people who can enter the darkness with me. And when Jesus says in, this, in verse 38 that my soul is very sorrowful even to death, the, the translation, the message says, this sorrow is crushing the life out of me. We've all had this taste of this weight, have you not? When you really mess up, big time, and you get exposed, it feels heavy, doesn't it? It just, 
has a weight on your soul. You're just like, I wish I could go back. I wish I hadn't done that. I, I wish I could somehow escape this guilty feeling. Well, imagine Jesus who's going to take all of our guilt on himself. This is crushing him, and he's in a, he's in a very dangerous place, I would suggest, because the weight and seriousness of this kind of sorrow can, it can distort reality. It can cause you to think that things are hopeless. This kind of sorrow can be paralyzing. You can get stuck in sorrow and just never really be able to move forward. So Jesus feels this cosmic chaos and his entire mission is being threatened. So one thing Jesus does is he asks some guys, will you come and go with me? I'm in the dark and I just need somebody to stand with me who will keep their eyes open for me while I'm in the dark. Can you guys do that? That's going to help me get through the dark. Now notice that Jesus doesn't ask them to fix the darkness. Guys, can you enter this darkness and fix the darkness? He doesn't ask them to provide theological answers for the darkness. Hey, I'm in the dark. I need, I need theological answers. No, at this point, I just need somebody who can stand the darkness. It turns out it's a lot harder to stand in the darkness than they thought. I mean, they fall down on their duty. They're not successful. And here I want to just turn one chapter, verse 27, verse 45. Now Jesus is hanging on the cross and darkness really does descend. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And in that ninth hour, this last hour, Jesus on the cross cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 55. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Now here, these women, they shine. It really gets dark on them, and they stay in the darkness. And they're ministering to Jesus by just standing in the darkness. When it feels like God is far away, even from Jesus, these people say, I'm just going to keep standing with you. And my question is, do you have people like that in your life? And are you one of those kinds of people? See, you're going to enter into darkness and I'm sorry to say, it's going to be heavy and it's going to feel like I'm getting crushed to death. And you're going to need somebody, not, not that theological answers aren't helpful in discussion, but there are going to be times I just need somebody who can stand in the darkness. And if you and I don't have people at that moment, you can get crushed and you cannot make it out of the darkness. But you also have to be willing to be one of those kinds of people. So often when something tragic happens, you know, people say, I don't know what to say. Most of the time, people don't want you to say anything. They just want you to come and stand next to them. 
And they want you to try to absorb the darkness without getting crushed yourself. And it's actually very difficult to do. So one way we make it through these dark nights of the soul is you have people who enter that darkness with you. Second thing we see here, when night falls on your life, you hold on through people, you also hold on through prayer. You see Jesus' prayer here in chapter 26. And I want, to, want you to just notice these two, what I'm going to call two phases of prayer. Verse 39, Jesus says this, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So you hear his prayer. You've, you've made this prayer. God, I don't want to do this. I mean, if there's any way you can rescue me from this, if there's any way you can turn this around, I'm in the middle of this devastating circumstance, and I need your divine intervention. I'm praying for you to somehow come through here. And if you've ever received a devastating doctor's report, if you've ever sat beside a loved one on a breathing machine, if you've ever experienced real relational rupture, you've, you've prayed this prayer. I've prayed this prayer. God, just divinely intervene. Some, somehow you do something. I can't do something. And I don't think I can handle this kind of darkness. Please take the cup away. Then notice in verse 42, his second prayer, which is a bit of a shift. My father, if this cannot pass, you hear that? Something seems to happen between the first prayer, if it can pass, take it, and then it's, okay, if it can't pass, then can you help me through it? You feel that shift? You're going you're gonna to experience that shift at some point in your life. He's not going on praying for the cup to go away. He's praying that he would be able to drink the cup and he would still be faithful at the end of it. He's worried now, I think I'm going to have to drink this cup, but I don't know if I can make it through. I'm not sure I can actually handle it. So his prayer moves from take this away to take me through. Hebrews 5.7, listen carefully to this verse. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. So you, you feel where that's coming from. He offered up loud cries, prayers of loud cries and tears to him, to God, who is able to save him from death. And Jesus was heard because of his reverence. So when I look at this verse, I think, okay, so how was Jesus saved from death? And I would say two ways. First, when Jesus was sorrowful even to death, means the, the night that fell on Jesus in the garden was so dark, so distorting, that he might abort his mission. God saved him from the fear of death from him aborting his mission. That here he is, he's facing it, He's not quite there, but he could have said, I can't handle it, and I run away. You've done that. I've done that. 
You get right up to the edge and you just say, I, I just feel like I can't take it. And Jesus or God comes in and strengthens him and saves them, him actually from the, the fear of death, the killing effects of the fear of death. Second way, once Jesus now is resolved to drink the cup and his prayer shifts to God, don't, don't abandon me to death. Don't allow death to have the last word. Can you help me come out on the other side of death? And of course, we know God did do that. He has to drink the cup of death. He has to experience the cup of death. But God saves him from death through the resurrection. So prayer helps Jesus hold on through this dark night of the soul. And if Jesus in the flesh needs to say, be saved from the fear of this pain, and he needs to be saved through this pain, then, then how much more do we need prayer to be able to save through it? You, you, you and I are not built to make it by ourselves. Somebody has to come in and stand in the darkness. But while you're standing there, then you're going to be praying, God, I, I just prayed that this could go away, and then there are going to be times where he's not going to take it away, and you're going to say, would you help me just stay faithful all the way through? Third point here, third and final point. When night falls on you or your family, you're going to have to learn to live in the tension of future hope and current despair. Just have to learn to live in that tension. I love this passage from Luke chapter 23, verse 39. Jesus is hanging on a cross and he has this conversations with these thieves that are hanging there beside him. And you're familiar with the, the conversation. There's one on each side. One of the criminals, cr criminals who were hanged there is railing at Jesus. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself, save us. But the other one rebukes this other thief. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he has one last breath, this man. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus looks at him, truly I say to you, today. Today. You feel that hope? Today you're going to be with me in paradise. I mean, here these two man, men are hanging in, in pain that you and I can't imagine. And Jesus holds out this word of hope saying, it's going to be today. And I think Jesus is saying, today you're going to be with me. He's reminding himself. I think he's preaching to himself saying, I'm going to be in paradise today. And guess what? You're going to be with me. Just hold on. Weeping may last for a night, but joy is going to come in the morning. So that even in the middle of this really heavy darkness, Jesus is holding out this word of hope. He's looking at the thief and he's saying, we're headed for daylight. 
We are headed for daylight. And it's going to be a daylight that never ends. So hold on. He's holding out that word of hope. But then in the very next breath, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus shifts from holding out this word of hope to this despair rushing back on his soul and feeling like he's been abandoned by God. I wonder if you've ever felt that emotional roller coaster. That moment of hope, I can hold on and just as soon as it comes out, it somehow gets slammed by this great despair. So I want to say this carefully. As Christians, it's important for us to remember that we live inside a biblical story. And that story tethers us to God. It tethers us to true things about God. It tethers us to, to how God specifically operates in the life of Jesus. So in the garden, Jesus prays three times that God would allow this, that God would not allow his only child to die. Imagine that prayer. God, you're a good God. Is there any way you can allow, not allow your only child to die? I mean, how can a good God allow children to die? Yet God allows his child to die. In the midst of this dying, Jesus is strengthened with words of hope. And he feels this overwhelming despair. God, where are you? So if Jesus prays earnestly three times and gets a no then you and I can expect to pray earnestly three times and get a no, even if it makes God not look good. Even when you say, this doesn't make any sense to me, it wouldn't make any sense to anybody else, it doesn't make God look good, you might get a no. If Jesus had to live in the tension between future hope and current despair, then when we're in the darkness, it's okay if you're in despair. And in the next moment, you have hope. And in the next moment, you have despair. See, that has to be okay. You can't be somebody who, who enters in the darkness with somebody and says, count it all joy and think they're always going to have this bubbling attitude about it. That's not what happens right here for Jesus. It has to be okay for you and I to live in that darkness and in one moment and maybe in one hand hold on to hope and then with the other hand say, I don't think I can make it. God, where, where have you gone? That has to be okay. And when that's okay, when we live in and through the biblical story, then we can hold on. We can make it. As a Christian, how do you hold on to your faith when night falls on your life? Do you have a few friends that can stand in the darkness? Do, are you a friend who can stand in the darkness for someone else? When you pray, when you pray earnestly, and God says no, can you adjust that prayer to God, would you just help me make it through? And can you live in that tension of hope and despair? 
weeping. Weeping may remain for a night. But Jesus says, I see the dawn. You're, you're just at it. Joy comes in the morning. He's certainly doing this at the Last Supper, is he not? He's with his disciples, and they're all confused. It's certainly a moment of chaos, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to take this bread of the Passover. This is going to be my body. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to give it for you. My blood is going to be spilled on your behalf, and the disciples are really just completely bewildered. And he wants them to remember this ceremony and keep doing it every time they get together to make sure they know that Jesus is going to hold on to them. Jesus is going to hold on to you. Even when you let go in the darkness, Jesus is going to keep holding on. Let's pray. Lord, would you take these very common elements here and especially would you give hope to a hurting soul, to, to someone who is right now in that darkness. That this would be a way that you would say to them, I'm just standing next to you, holding on to you, and I'm going to help you get all the way through to the other side. Would you do that for us in a way that, that I couldn't possibly do. Would you bless your people with your presence, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The elders will, will come forward and the deacons will dismiss you by row. If you're a believer in Christ, you trusted in Him as your Savior, then you're welcome to come forward. If not, we would just encourage you to, to stay in your seat and think through what have you put your faith in? Who, who's standing beside you in those moments of darkness and despair? Deacons.